That's the distinction that they have a strap on them. And they're made of different material, usually lighter material. That's a track band. Okay. I guess mine are closer to sweatpants. But in Australia, uh, maybe we mean the same thing when we say like the formal term track pants. But when we say the informal term, the colloquial term tracky dacks, um, it definitely encompasses sweatpants like tracky pants. Tracky dacks. Tracky dacks, yeah. Like Dax the Destroyer. Well, uh, Dax meaning pants of some description. A destroyer meaning... Um, but Dak is also a verb in Australia. Is it a verb in America where you pull someone's pants down? No. <gasps> no. That means to Dak them. Wow. If you're a kid. That sounds very Australian. <sighs> um, yeah, I'm wearing freshly laundered tracky Daks. Mm. So I have that nice... Hot, drier feeling. You're wearing uh, underwear underneath them? I am wearing underwear underneath them, That's unfortunately. Good. That's good. Not freeballing it. What about a shirt? What about my shirt? Do you have a shirt it's on? Just like a grey t-shirt. No uh, and, image uh, on it? No graphic? No image on it. I don't tend to wear items of clothing with images on what it. About, what about Godzilla? Is Godzilla What, what about Godzilla? He, I don't know what he's wearing. Usually nothing. He's just naked, is, right? is Godzilla? Is Godzilla on your shirt? No, he's not. Well, shouldn't it, shouldn't it be they? I mean, I'm not actually sure. I mean, you've watched them all. <laughs> I've I've watched like the American cut of the original one, you know, once. Typically, in translation, they you know refer to him as he, but at least in the American one, he gives birth. So I guess he can still be a he and give birth. Yeah, um, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't be caught up in uh, gender. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also, I'm pleased to announce my new uh, writing job at the Guardian UK. <laughs> hey, what, what the hell is this shit anyway? <laughs> uh, this is the, the favoured uh, film podcast of the Dirtbag Left, I believe. <laughs> you know, right? we're, the, we're the post-Dirtbag Left. Uh, is that what it is? What comes after being a dirtbag? Um, Just the mediocre left? A flower bag? Because flowers are growing in the dirt. No. The tea bag left. Hmm. Yeah, we're the teabag left. We're a teabag in your ears. <laughs> What's this podcast called? Uh, this is Project A+. Anyway, yeah, this is episode 99. And uh, this is also the episode where we're going to inaugurate the... Um, Project A+, Hall of Fame. Mm. We've revisited three films that were Project A+, favorites. Drake Dormus's, uh Zoe. Uh, Sergei Petrov's uh, Masked Anonymous <laughs> and um, and uh, Paul Flaherty's uh, Clifford to see if they warrant inclusion in the uh, Project A Plus Hall of Fame. Indeed. I believe that's the long and the short of it. But we've also collectively brought 30 other films that it's not going to be collectively years. 30. <laughs> at least at least 15 films. That at least 15, we're, yeah. we're nominating for inclusion in the Project A Plus Hall of Fame. What else we got to know? We got some trivia. Um, I get to talk about my experiences uh, undergoing, I think, a, a political uh, realignment that we, we will all agree with in the future. <laughs> um, anyway, let's, uh, let's, let's stop talking about the show. Let's, let's start doing the show. <laughs> Okay, let's do the show. All right. Uh, I guess we start with roulette, right? No, we start with uh, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing fine. How are you? Uh, I'm not doing so well. Oh no. But uh, I'll explain 
over the course of this podcast why that is. Wow. Do you have COVID? I'm going to refrain from uh, making any comment at this juncture. <laughs> All right. So uh, we, we've discovered how we're doing. Should we get into roulette then? you i uh, put the gun to my head last week and uh well what came out a little movie uh a little movie that was repeated three times what was that little movie well it's uh <laughs> and have you have you seen this term in the loosest possible <laughs> definition <laughs> a jackie chan movie <laughs> called uh founding of a republic um which he was, of course, the, uh, there is a trilogy, if I'm going to look up the official title real quick. Um, maybe there isn't. But anyway, for the uh, 90th, um, uh, 60th, the 60th anniversary of the uh, PRC, or People's Republic of China, uh, there is a trilogy of films that were produced. Uh, the Founding of a Republic, The Founding of a Party, and The Founding of an Army. And these are propaganda films, which sort of tell the... Uh, you know, official line narrative on, uh, you know, as the title says, the founding of the Republic. In this case, the Republic being the, you know, People's Republic of China. After the Second World War has concluded and the uh, Kuomintang and the uh, Communist Party of China have uh, come to a sort of a detente, um, you know, after uh, collaborating to, to fight the Japanese, they... Uh, you know, we're at peace, and there seems to be some overtures to creating a um, a uh, coalition government, which will unify China and finally bring it out of, uh, you know, um, I don't know, thousands of years of imperial rule. Uh, and um, alas, the negotiations between the two parties sort of failed, mostly, uh, according to the film, because of the, uh, you know, vile depredations of the KMT, which, you know, in fairness, seems to be a pretty awful party. And uh, basically, the film sort of very loosely dramatizes uh, the civil war that followed, uh, which eventually resulted in the uh, liberation of China um, from the KMT, uh, who were forced to retreat to Taiwan, which they ruled with an iron fist uh, up until, I want to say, the mid-80s. <laughs> Uh, the main uh, theme of the film is uh, how the uh, KMT are bad and the, you know, Communist Party of China was more than willing to accommodate all these other uh, parties in China, like the uh, uh, Chinese Democratic League and uh, the revolutionary arm of the KMT and creating the uh, PRC. And um, yeah, that's that's about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess you'd want to know how this film was, because unfortunately uh, I put the gun to my head and this came out, and uh, now my brains are splattered all over the floor. Um, would you like to know about the experience a little bit, Hugh? Yeah, let's start with how the founding of a republic is when you watch it once. So I was like, it, it definitely has kind of a strange quality. I mean, you know, you're not the intended audience at all, right? Hmm. I mean, you'd be, I don't think anyone is, except for maybe the, you know, bureaucrats who make up the government of the uh, PRC. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, especially being a Westerner who does not have a especially rich and deep knowledge of the history of China, 
Um, you know, this is just, it's just nonsense. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's hundreds of characters, their names are sent away one time, and then they, uh, you know, are uh, treated with uh, reverence or hatred, and you never quite get a grasp on um, on who and what is, except for obviously the key players being uh, Mao Zedong and uh, Chiang Kai-shek and uh, uh, Zhao Enlai. Um, you know, those, those people are pretty evident, but there's hundreds of supporting characters, all played by uh, Chinese megastars, which is what, what kind of gives this film uh, the quality of being interesting, because it is really like, a, oh, you know, when, when's, when's Jet Li going to show up? I mean, in that, that, that uh, you know, case, it's, it's pretty soon, pretty, uh, pretty quick for uh, Jet Li's 10-second uh, cameo as a naval officer who... You're like, oh, he's going to be a, you know, they, they're talking about him like he's going to be an important character, an important part of history that he just disappears. Like, okay. Um, <laughs> you know what? I think this film has, it, it has a very strange quality. And I, honestly, I, I found myself uh, enjoying certain sequences of it, both on a kind of an ironic level and on a, um, you know, I thought I thought some of the scenes of this were, were genuinely, like, fairly well done. By some of them, I mean, like, one or two. Uh <laughs> But it definitely has a strange quality of just being immersed in this history that, you know, I know nothing about. And, you know, just the expectation, and, you know, being uh, I'm sure that the average um, uh, person who is from China and, and knows a lot about their own country would not have nearly the same experience of this immersion. Because, you know, obviously it's in a V like, who the hell is this guy? It's just like, oh, that's that's, you know, X, X and Y person. And, uh, you know, that's that's just I think uh, that's something that's hard to. Uh, replicate when you don't grow up like you know constantly be bombarded with the propagandistic history of a place hmm. like it'd be like if you watched a film about the american revolution i think you know it's like oh you know and i'd be like oh you know it's benedict arnold or whoever oh it's lafayette so i kind of enjoyed it just on that level uh, it's extremely fast-paced <laughs> um even if the narrative is is i think pretty poorly uh, conceived and Constructed, it does do some rather. It has some strange choices that I was not expecting. Like kind of making Shane Kaishek a tragic figure instead of the, uh, you know, very evil person he was in real life. Does mm. not expecting at all. I figured that you know this being a, a product of the Chinese Communist Party, they would have painted him in the most unfavorable uh, terms. He does do some despicable things, but uh, you know, the, one of the last shots of the movie is him just being sad in his palace as he's about to evacuate to Taiwan. <laughs> And um, I thought that was kind of unusual. Uh, there's one scene that I really enjoyed, which is after they've successfully pacified the North and, you know, asserted their dominance. Basically, almost all of China is theirs. The, uh, like, you know, Central Committee characters that we learned, including uh, Mao and Zhao and Wai and some of the other generals are, you know, they just get fucking shit-faced <laughs> and are, are, are singing, uh, you know, communist anthem. And I was like, you know, I can kind of relate to the emotions of the scene. I mean, imagine you're Mao Zedong or Zhao Enlai. You've been fighting against the disgusting imperialist uh, bastards who run your country for like 30 years, right? And finally, victory is within your grasp. And uh, I, I can relate to the emotions of that. I thought that this, this one scene, this two and a half hour film was well done. <laughs> I was also expecting to be very sort of flat looking. And it's, it's actually like, you know, it feels like pretty decently high production values. Like it doesn't feel like a TV movie. <laughs> like it's, it, oh. it feels like a, it's, it's, it's handsomely shot. And, um, and it wasn't as torturous as I was expecting. What about the Chan element? So uh, Jackie Chan appears approximately... Uh, <laughs> Uh, halfway into the film, 
His uh, uh, total screen time, I think, I, I did a stopwatch. It amounts to be about a minute and one second. Are you kidding? <laughs> no, I'm not. You said one seed. He plays a <laughs> he plays a reporter who is interviewing uh, a character whose name I've completely forgotten, but is one of the leaders of one of the Don uh, uh, CCP uh, parties. That he plays a reporter. Yeah, for yeah. one minute. Yep. <laughs> he doesn't do anything. He's there. He's wearing glasses. He has a strange haircut. Um, he's almost not even recognizable. Um, so that was great. Um, anyway, yeah, I enjoyed my experience. Uh, the second time around, I was, I was, you know, honestly, I, I, I felt kind of the same way. You know, I actually didn't have as much of a struggle. Actually, I, I, the second time was like, you know, I was, I was kind of like, I was trying to be more attentive. I was looking for like John Woo's cameo. And just like, you know, it's like, oh, all these seeds are happy again. And then the third time felt like a fever dream. <laughs> and the, the like first hour, I was like, okay, this is kind of novel, you know, see all these things happen again. And just knowing like with crystal clear precision, like the order of seeds and stuff like that. And then the two hours after that were total a total torturous slog. Um, but it was still fun seeing like Andy Lau pop up and Jelly, like I said. And I don't know. So So did it become more coherent after the first viewing? To you, at least. Uh, I did understand more of it, uh, I think. I mean, the, the, it's it, there's a quality of the film. It just introduces so many characters that it's really hard to follow, like, what exactly is happening. Yeah. I do think when I watched the first time, I was like, I have no idea, like, who these people are. And then the second time, I was like, okay, I, I don't know these people's names because they don't really use them that much. And, it, and maybe the, just the subtitles I had didn't, like, you know, transcribe every usage of them. Uh, but I was like, okay, so these people represent this party. I don't really, you know, get it, but that's fine. And then the third time I was like, okay, you know, hmm. I understand this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, and now I'm a Maoist, so I expect you to get a copy of the uh, Little Red Book in the mail in about a month or two. So I look forward to that. We're rebranding as the Little Red Podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's my favorite uh, Prince song, too. So that was what? How long is that in total? That's like seven and a half hours or something? Yeah, I think it was more like eight because, you know, I paused to use the bathroom and stuff like that and got lunch, and hmm. et cetera. I kind of enjoyed the experience of be- forcing myself to pay attention to something for that long. I felt, it almost felt like it was good for me in a way. It's like a full day of work. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty much. Uh, and then it was before I actually went to work, so that I had an actual job to go to. What? You did it before yeah. you went to work? Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to waste one of my days off doing this shit. What time did you start work? Uh, I started at 4 o'clock. I woke up at, I think, 6.30 and started watching the movies. So I had, yeah, had, had okay. a full time. Yeah, I would have done the same, actually, if I had that schedule. I would not have done it on a day off. No. Because those are precious days to be spent watching Mass and Anonymous, which is what I did with my day off yesterday. <laughs> All right, let's get to the podcast proper. How about we kick things off with uh, Zoe? Oh, Zoe, put your lack of past behind you. Imagine someone else designed you. And we'll make sweet love every night. I'm sorry that time didn't make you cry But your pussy will never be pussy, will never be dry Okay, 
what is so, Hugh? Well, so is it 20, uh, 17? Uh, 2018. 2018 film? Television? <laughs> special? <laughs> what is this? Amazon web content? <laughs> Do we have to introduce it again? How many of you have considered the actual possibility of a relationship with a synthetic? Nah, of course you haven't. They are your dog walkers, or maybe a gardener. Maybe a housekeeper. Cause they're primitive, right? They're robotic. They're not real. But what if they weren't? What if I told you? I am a synthetic. You trust me, don't you? Yes. Okay. Have you ever done a search for yourself online? Yes. When I was younger. But not in the last few months, no? No. Why? You might be surprised to find that there's not very much there. What are you talking about? This isn't going to be easy to say, and, um, it's going to sound a bit crazy, but you don't oversee the synthetics division at the lab. You're a creation of it. I had no idea you would evolve like this. I didn't. Was I designed to have feelings for you? No. Are you going to deactivate me now? No. That's not what you want, is it? This is my life. I realized I've never done anything real. I've never stayed up late with girlfriends. I've never talked on a phone with a boy. I've never worn perfume. I'd like to show you some of the things you've done. I have memories, but I'm not sure I know what to do. City never sleeps. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. I'm happy here. So, are you okay? So, are you okay? Right, Hugh. Well, so let's let's talk about first. What did we make of Zoe originally? I think we both, uh, you know, thought we we think it's a we thought it was a bad film, right? Correct. Uh, but we both enjoyed it quite a bit. I think that's the general uh, scope of things, right? That's the long and short of it. My question to you is then: did, what, How did what was the aura of Zoe like this time? You know, going through it again, what was most of its charms like uh, sewn up in the element of surprise that watching it for the first time and not knowing where it was going, yeah, you know, brought to it? Because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like that's a key point of whether or not it'll be included in the Hall of Fame. You know. Well. For the first couple of acts, I actually got into this, and I mean on its own terms. <laughs> like, I was impressed with um, 
Leah Sourdough's performance. Like, she really commits. And so does McGregor, just, like, less successfully. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and uh, T.O. James, I thought he was pretty solid, too. Does he uh, perfectly cast as a robot? Um, but, yeah, I was, I was kind of appreciating the fact that they were really going for it, despite the material they have to work with. <laughs> despite it being awful. And even the, the stuff that we made fun of last time, like you uh, and McGregor basically being pedo Geppetto, <laughs> 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 raises, uh, raises some interesting ideas and concepts. Like, it's creepy. It is creepy, but it's plausible that you might want to fuck a perfect facsimile of, of Leia do. <laughs> yeah, she, she's a big Even if you're her creator and she's only three months old, right? It's plausible. I'm, just, I'm not saying I would do it. I'm just saying it's plausible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but the, the point of it being funny is not that it's plausible. It's that <laughs> the film doesn't acknowledge that this is a problem or something that is like... Yeah, I, I agree with that. It, it doesn't... The film itself doesn't find it creep, creepy and it barely explores those complications, right, that would arise from that, that particular circumstance. In fact, it kind of tries to lampshade it to some degree. Yeah, it ultimately, everything falls apart when it, it's clear that the film just wants to be an affirmation of love. And, and you know, you've got, you've got Greg and, and Sourdough improvising in front of this fucking screensaver from 2002. Hello! I'm here in an empty room! Shouting! I feel a little silly. <laughs> it's it's profoundly embarrassing. Yeah. Well, that's that's Drake Dory best for you. Especially because it's so clear that so many of those scenes are in fact improvised. Well, I mean, the whole like all, all the like happy scenes, it's they're all the same. It's like you know he says something that's like not funny, and then they laugh together about it. And it's like, hey, <laughs> this is what happiness is. <laughs> the other problem is that the last act pointlessly diffuses that central theme with the whole love drug business. I know it's foreshadowed early in the film, but it's not really a part of the narrative until the end. Well, just, it, doesn't, it doesn't reflect the themes at all. <laughs> yeah, so you can kind of see that they're trying to explore the future of corporate relationship companies yeah. from different angles. Yeah, yeah. But but the problem is, is that, is that the if it had taken a, a, a wider range approach, if it was more of like an anthology film where it felt like more like, you know, like one of those dumb interconnected like narratives, you know, I could see taking this like scattershot approach to world development. But the fact that all, all the only thing that matters at the central narrative is the, the love robots. Like, yeah, just, the, the, the other the other conceit doesn't even come up at all after it. it's like, you know, it serves its plot purpose and then it goes away forever. Like, As a side note. Why does the compatibility test ask questions in a, a, a clipped robotic voice when they can fucking design perfect humans? <laughs> like, well, Hugh, uh, that's because it's, it's referencing a little film called Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> but, and even if you couldn't design perfect humans, it's just asking questions that they could all be pre-recorded by a human. <laughs> why does it have yeah, to be? Or can, you can just have a human read it out. Like, why does what it would you do with a robot dog? There's a turtle sitting on its back. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do with the turtle? Well, we um, anyway, I, I have to say that uh, I think uh, that the indeed of the film is like a one or done. You know, when you don't know it's coming, it's like the funniest thing in the world. Yeah. But uh, this time I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> like, you know, she fucking cries stupid. Like, who cares? But uh, I will say, you know, experiencing it that first time, I was laughing so hard. It's so funny. <laughs> 
I find the aesthetics of this film to be very annoying too, because it's just like you know your standard like. Yeah, it's got that that dreamish sheen of competence, which seems like tailor made for like the commercial world, basically. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, I think that's pretty much everything I got to say about. So I did not enjoy it that much. I have to say, uh, basically the first uh, uh, hour up until Zoe gets hit by a car, which I thought was so funny. I was laughing so hard at that. So I did kind of forget that it happened and when I was happy, I was like, oh, she's going to get hit by a car. And then she just gets fucking like knocked out. And I was like, this is great. Um, I was, I was pretty uh, bored. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know if uh, it really, uh, it, it holds up beyond that, that first initial viewing. Um, I enjoyed it. Okay. To be honest, like wow, the experience, that's, that's like I didn't, I didn't find myself getting restless or anything. And do you think that this film belongs in the apex of film culture, aka the Project A Plus Hall of Fame. Um. Yes, I do actually. Hmm. I do think I I think so as well, and I think that you know the ideal Project A Plus Hall of Fame movie should be something that you know maybe not be maybe maybe they're not good films, but they're films that have stuck with us that we reference a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and and that uh, you know become part of our vernacular. And there's something quintessentially Project A Plus about this movie. You know, it's a sci-fi original released by a somewhat named director, you know, on a streaming platform. <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's all there is to it. I think what, what, what defines a Hall of Fame film is that its essence kind of permeates the podcast from then on in. It's not something we just forget. Yeah, yeah. Zoe definitely does that. do that. Yeah. So we agree. That's that's our first nominee. One of fifteen down. Yeah, which uh, which one would you like to do next, Clifford or Master Anonymous? Let's do Clifford, and then we'll bring it home with Master Anonymous. I wanna go to Dinosaur World. Please take me now. To dinosaur world, I want to go to dinosaur world, dinosaur, dinosaur world. I wanna go to dinosaur world, please take me now to dinosaur world. I love to go to dinosaur world, dinosaur, dinosaur world. Dinosaur world, I'd love to go to dinosaur world, dinosaur, dinosaur world. I wanna go to dinosaur world, please take me now to dinosaur world. I want to go to dinosaur world, dinosaur, dinosaur. Oh, oh, oh. What is uh, Clifford? I feel like we don't even need to, you know, everyone knows what Clifford is at this point. Yeah, well, there's a recent uh, vulture oral history of Clifford, so it's become mainstream. <laughs> we started the train, you know. We've, we've been warriors for Clifford for several years at this point. I have uh, a novelty Twitter account, uh, which tweets out Clifford <laughs> gifts. You know, it's it's a comedy film that stars Martin Short and uh, <laughs> Chevy Chase, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the late Chevy Chase. <laughs> R.I.P.D. Uh, Chevy Chase. <laughs> <laughs> he 
He works for the the, the dead police squad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with the uh, Ryan Reynolds and Jeff Bridges <laughs> and Bob Dylan. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, Clifford's about a demonic little boy played by uh, Martin Short who terrorizes his uncle, is played by Charles Grodin. That's pretty much all you need to know, right? Yeah, <laughs> it is a comedy film. I've watched this film like. Uh, over the course of, of, of our years doing this podcast, like, six times at this point. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think so. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it only improves with each viewing. Uh, uh, this is a uh, delightful uh, film. And uh, I think it is peerless. <laughs> what about you? Did, you? did you enjoy Clifford in this recent reviewing? Yeah, so this is only the second time I've seen it, but uh, mm-hmm. I was looking forward to watching it, and it it didn't let me down. I do think Grodin is the MVP. I think, uh, yeah, I think, well, I think that, yeah, Grodin, Grodin's the, the, the best for sure, but I think him and Short, like, when they're, they're together, that's like... Yeah, that's the, per- it's the perfect double act, but the film doesn't work <laughs> without Grodin's performance. No, definitely not. He's like the note-perfect foil to Short. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> his performance is so like kind of grounded and realistic, you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, they have they have such uh, incredible chemistry together that uh, you know that the scene, the like central scene, uh, which includes the you know famous line, uh, "Look at me like a real boy," like that has to be <laughs> one of the like like highest points of any comedy film ever, right? Like. Just them doing these like amazing like improv riffs at each other. It's it's all so funny. It's great. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think my you know we initially did this. I had some complaints about the um, end of the film being kind of slow and uh, losing out some of the comic magic. And now I now I just enjoy all of it. So. <laughs> yeah, I think they they do a really good job at uh, pulling off that that final sequence yeah. of the, the fairground. Yeah, the special effects are pretty incredible, honestly. Because I was reading about the behind-the-scenes stuff recently, and um, they didn't have, like, much actual set to work with there. A lot of it is miniatures and um, trick photography and stuff, and it's really well done. And I, w- I would kill someone for the Clifford miniature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks fantastic. Uh, it's not like, you know, a laugh riot, but I think it's a, a credible <laughs> into the film, you know? Mm. And then obviously the scene where... Uh, <laughs> Charles Grodin contemplates finally killing Clifford. Is is amazing. <laughs> yeah, Charles Grodin was a god, you know. And uh, you know, this is something that we said on, on the previous recording. But I love the fact that, like, you know, Martin Daniels, the Grodin character, is not a good person, and I think that makes it even better. Yeah, that's, like, that is really the strength of the dynamic. I don't think it would work if he was just like a, a saintly parent being tortured by this kid. <laughs> no, he's kind of a jerk, and then he gets tortured, and then he credibly stabs and threatens to kill him. And you're like, okay, I believe this. Like, <laughs> it's, it's good casting in terms of that couple, because I think Mary Steenberg and opposite him works really well. I don't think they give yeah, her enough to do, so which is fine, because the film's focus is greater and short. Yeah. But um, there was a lot of potential there with their relationship, I think. Yeah, and I wonder how much of it was like on the cutting floor too, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was I was reading into the the behind the scenes stuff as I said, so I learned more about it than I knew when when we first watched it. Obviously, we knew that it had like a kind of a, a tortured development, and it was you know delayed. It was on the shelf for four years, but it, basically everything I learned 
was you know self-evident <laughs> from seeing it the first time yeah yeah so it was obvious that the framing narrative was you know um instigated by test audiences essentially yeah yeah clearly part of the issue was apparently that the test audiences wanted clifford to die <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> So and there's clearly issues with with tone and it feels like yeah um you know different people had different ideas and it's kind of a weird but, hybrid. But the, the weird the weird quality that creates like improves this film to me. You know I agree and I think the framing narrative does improve the film in a funny way as well. <laughs> yeah, because because it, it, it kind of like lulls you into this like weird like mood, you know, <laughs> like. Is, is it, make, it, it makes it seem like it's going to be a more standard film than it is. And that makes that heightens the uh, like absurdity of it. Like it does, it does kind of ruin Clifford's character as like this absolute force of nature. Yeah, the idea that he could be redeemed at any point, but it doesn't really matter. Like who cares? Because that the whole film is about celebrating that. And also, I just enjoy I enjoy like how how half-assed and weird it is too. You know, like so the original writers. And in particular, Stephen Campman left the project because Stephen Campman was originally going to direct it as well. And they ended up having creative dif- differences or something with uh, one of the managers um, and or Martin Short. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Paul Flaherty like replaced him. Mm. And they are now credited under a pseudonym, the writing pair. Well, that's that's two writing pair pseudonyms that we got this episode. Yes. But uh, apparently um, Martin Short ended up basically rewriting the screenplay himself. Wow. Or at least reworking it substantially to suit his vision. So we've got to give him credit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he gives a great performance, too. He does. (laughs) It's, like, perfectly deranged, but, like, consistently so, you know? (laughs) It weaponizes his, like, high-energy manic kind of comic persona, which can be, like, grating in other contexts, but is, like, perfect here. Yeah, and I love the, like, weird, like, old-timey syntax he brings to Clifford, too, you know? Mm. And, like, singing <laughs> Ethel Merman songs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's really, it's really perfect. Yeah, I, th- I think this is a really great film. I think uh, it's got to be, like, my one of my top, like, five favorite comedies, if not just films, period, at this point in my <laughs> life. <laughs> um yeah, I don't even know what else to say. We could just, like, quote lines of, of it, you know, but... I genuinely wish I had come across this as a child. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like it's one of those things that if you watch this uh, as a, like a child or a young teen, you just become absolutely obsessed with it, you know? Yeah. Oh, man, I forgot to do a bit that I was going to do. Oh, well. Well, we could awkwardly recreate it. <laughs> you know, I was just gonna be like, oh, you know, I actually wrote something for this auspicious occasion, and I was gonna read the, uh, you know, like opening uh, title cards from Clifford. <laughs> that had that be like the first bit of the podcast, but let's see what too late. What is the opening title card? Oh yeah, that kind of fairy tale thing. <laughs> from the beginning of time, children have dreamed of exciting and perilous adventures. Although the adventures are exciting for the child, they can't be perilous for the adults. This is one such story. Yeah, you should have done that at the start of the podcast. Yeah, you can yeah. Do it I now, just, and I'll just cut it in. <laughs> okay. Hey, hey, Hugh. No, no. Uh, uh, I see. It's it's too awkward now. I should, it would have been better if it was like it was like. Well, I don't want to do it now. Sorry, sorry, bro. Well, we'll just we'll just keep this in then. Um. All right. <clears throat> I think I think I've said my piece. 
Question remains, does this earn its spot in the Project A Plus Hall of Fame? I, th I think so. What about you? I want to say yes. <laughs> Mason? <laughs> All right, so that's two, well, it's potentially two slots filled. Yep. Rocket on to Master Anonymous then? Let's do it. Don't you know that smoking can be bad for your health? Don't you know that smoking can be bad for your health? You commit treason. Against your own self. So what is Mass Anonymous to you? It's a it's a Larry Charles joint, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, and who does it star in Slash was co-written by? Why, Mr. Bobby D. <laughs> Hearts of Fire himself? That's right. Eat the document? Ronaldo and Clara? Or just Ronaldo, I guess. Ronaldo. So what happens in this film? Uh, <laughs> some, some, some stuff happens. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, uh, it's so complicated. <laughs> Basically, there's this future U.S. that has, uh, where the you know existing structures of the U.S. government have been overtaken by some sort of weird revolution. Um, and uh, Bobby D plays this imprisoned singer who is also the son of the dictatorial president uh, who is released from jail so that he can uh, perform in a benefit concert, which is created to lift the spirits of the people and also line the pockets of its uh, promoter slash uh, director, uh, Uncle Sweetheart, who is played pretty amazingly by John Goodman. Uh, and it's just sort of this kaleidoscopic vision of America um, under this weird, you know, totalitarian role. Uh, and there's all sorts of random eccentric characters, including uh, Ed Harris in blackface at one point. Wait, is this a film from 2003 or the actual news from 2016 to 2020? <laughs> Not 2021. No, I was talking about the Trump brain in particular. No, I think uh, this is more of an analogy to the Obama years, the years of tyranny, as I like to call them. Um, anyway, Hugh, did you enjoy uh, Mass Anonymous uh, this time around? Okay, so the listeners should know at this point that you brought forward this shit show by a full two days, which meant <laughs> I had to squeeze in viewings of these three films around my work schedule. Editing um, the Project A Plus that's supposed to come out this week and may not anyway. And perhaps most critically of all, receiving my first dose of the controversial AstraZeneca vaccine. Oh. <laughs> yes, I'm speaking to you now with one prick. One prick of AZ freshly administered into my left arm. By freshly, I mean yesterday afternoon. So I read through the, the pamphlet supplied by the clinic, which warned me of the possibility... Uh, of developing TTS or thrombosis with thrombocytopenia. 
which is a rare blood clotting disorder, that the pamphlet informed me could lead to long-term disability and death. And it goes on. So this could be the last episode of the podcast. That is right. It is currently estimated to affect, this is what the pamphlet said, so at the time of printing, one to two people out of 100,000 who received the AstraZeneca vaccine. But for those under 60, such as myself, the rate is estimated to be higher. It just leaves it ambiguous. It's not like how much higher. (laughs) And then it just says, these estimates will be updated as further information becomes available. (laughs) It's reassuring. So this is why the government has advised uh, that persons under 60 should receive the Pfizer vaccine instead. Mm. Which and yet, and yet. Does not have a risk of, of uh, developing that particular condition. Yes, yet, yet. Can I get the Pfizer vaccine in Australia as a no. 35-year-old man? No, I cannot. Did, did I already get the Pfizer vaccine in America? Like months and months ago. <laughs> We don't even have a specific uh, date for when my age group or the people in my phase, as they call it, can get this vaccine. Like there's mention (laughs) of it maybe being September or October, but there's a distinct lack of urgency around the whole business. But anyway, I knew the risk was. I think it's 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 so funny to me that Australia has had this like crack, you know, COVID response. And now that the vaccine's like, uh, I don't know, like, whatever. Yeah, I know. It's insane. But anyway, with the, with this particular vaccine that I did get, I knew the risk was low, that I was doing the right thing. But as I sat in that waiting room reading this pamphlet, I'm not ashamed to say that, that I was scared, listener. Mm. Because it, I'd just been handed, handed this thing that, that told me that as early as four days away from yesterday... I could begin to see symptoms such as blurred vision, seizures, chest pain, swelling in my legs, tiny blood spots under my skin that would indicate I had developed a rare blood clotting disorder and may die. So as you said, this could well be the last (laughs) episode of Project A+. And I'm spending what could be my final precious moments on earth here with you because I can't let our listener down. (laughs) You mean you can't let yourself down as the only listener? That's right. And while I wait to see if I develop TTS, I get the uh, the benefit of enjoying the normal symptoms of AstraZeneca. So last night, a fever came over me. I was pretty much unable to sleep the entire night. Wow. I woke up feeling like hell, and I still had to squeeze in one more film for the pod. <laughs> Every cell in my body was begging me to postpone the recording and climb back into bed. But listener, slash hunter, I pushed through. I showered, I made a cup of coffee, and I sat down with a plate of leftover pizza and pressed play on the daily motion rip of Marston Anonymous. <laughs> and let me tell you, if I am to die on Monday, I have no regrets. Because <laughs> I got to see Marston Anonymous one more time. Because I got to honour the deranged vision of one of the most significant voices in American culture, indeed human culture, as well as the guy who sung Blowing in the Wind. (laughs) I'm not familiar with that one. So you can take your big budget effects, extravaganzas, your mid-tier Netflix originals, your slick, coherent narratives of unlikely romance, bank theft, and superheroism. Well, all that is in this movie too. That's true. Give me impassive, awkward Bob Dylan being acted at by a parade of sweaty ringers, all presumably working for scale just to bask in his aura. 
<laughs> Give me characters with names like Bobby Cupid and the aforementioned Uncle Sweetheart. <laughs> Give me a succession of quasi-poetic non-secretaires, creaky one-liners, and frankly incoherent monologues. Um, and as a side note that kind of interrupts the, the flow, I nearly cried during that part where it plays a cover of One More Cup of Coffee because I was just like, I really love that song. It's a good song. Um, this is not a bad good movie like it's not a film that's so bad it's good this film is Marston Anonymous and Marston Anonymous is Marston Anonymous and I still feel like shit but I also feel complete this is a a deeply inspiring movie and you know that scene between uh, Bob Dylan and Angela Bassett (laughs) I do incredible he looks so like genuinely uncomfortable (laughs) he looks so old yeah and so vulnerable when she touches him I found that quite beautiful. It was really weird. He's, he's almost virginal. <laughs> yeah. This podcast was recorded prior to the as yet unsubstantiated allegations against Bob Dylan coming to light. So I dug it. What about you? you when I first watched this film, I thought it was uh, insufferable, as you, I'm sure, remember. I had to tirelessly defend it on the first episode in which we discussed it. I, I hadn't gotten into Bob Dylan yet. I still, I still haven't, you know. There's something... I find unappealing about his music. Still, he's got great songs. Don't get me wrong. But the idea of plunging into his discography is is not especially an appealing one to me. But, Hugh, I've come to really enjoy Bob Dylan's uh, presence in movies. <laughs> and I think, uh, you know, looking at this film is like kind of a, you know, part, part troll. Obviously, that's part of the Dylan mystique, right? Yeah. Uh, part, you know oddball comedy uh part you know genuine uh attempts at poeticism and just all this creaky weird nonsense uh I, I, yeah I, I definitely like this 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 time around i definitely was more on board with just it's uh how out there it is how there, there's no there's no other film that looks like or feels like this movie you know it's, it's no. a singular vision and i genuinely like <laughs> some of the the directorial decisions larry charles makes actually um and the production design. The production design is pretty good. Kind of has a weird, like, low-budget quality, but it seems like someone went to a lot of effort in some cases. It seems very, like, deliberately curated. And there's some quite interesting sets. And I like that you can never tell, like, where you are at any particular moment. It's like a hybrid of various things. Yeah. It doesn't feel, like, plausible, but I enjoy, yeah, like, the sort of dreamy quality that it has. And I, I, I appreciated the uh, digital video that it was shot on. Me too, yeah. It's got a very particular quality. Um, I d- you know, some of the musical performances kind of, uh, I thought, were boring. And uh, But I you know what? This this film is enjoyable. I'll, I'll give that. It's got great dialogue. Mm. Uh, obviously, the line that we quote all the time has uh, retained its uh, odd pungency. You're a piker, Hugh. You're door-to-door encyclopedia salesman. You commit treason against your own self. <laughs> um, that's that's great. That's that's genius right there. I don't yeah. know what genius is to you, but I know it's that. I just enjoy the sort of like weird, sweaty thing. I appreciate that all of these like yeah, like A-listers commit to it like wholeheartedly. You know. <laughs> yeah, I've come to appreciate this film as a strange curio, even if I do find some of it to be kind of boring too. Mm. But. That is that is the price you pay for something that is unique and bizarre as this. I think so. This is a perfect movie. <laughs> um, I don't know if I can join you on that cliff, but 
it's it's definitely definitely enjoyable and yeah like the the digital photography the kind of cheapness of the sets and stuff is additionally amusing in the context of the cast yeah which is star-studded to say the least yeah it doesn't feel like you should see like jeff bridges wandering around a thing like this you know like and then it's and then it's um doubly amusing when someone is acting opposite bob dylan yeah, yeah. Who, who gives nothing in any scene that he's in he gives nothing but like he has a, a weirdly compelling presence despite the fact that he clearly has no acting ability whatsoever yeah Compared to, like, Hearts of Fire, this is, like, a much better performance, I will say. <laughs> I liked his performance in Hearts of Fire. <laughs> but there's a scene where he's, like, looking up at something, and I think he's supposed to be crying. He's clearly not actually crying, and I think they've just, like, put a, a droplet on his face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's just making the same expression that he always makes. <laughs> <laughs> now, also, I have to say, I understood maybe a third of his dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, this is this is a great film. I'll admit that. I'll admit that for you, Hugh. That's the sacrifice I'm willing to make. Uh, so I think this is a shoe-in for Project A Plus Hall of Fame. Absolutely. <laughs> no question. No question at all. So, uh, Drunken Mastermind, and then after that, uh, we'll do our, uh, we'll, we'll come to consensus about, uh, the Project A Plus Hall of Fame. Let's do it. There's a billboard for a certain Harrison Ford film in the background of a shot of Mast- in Mastodonymous. Can you tell me which film is being advertised on that billboard? Blade Runner. Uh, no, the correct answer is KIT, the Widowmaker. <laughs> you should have th- thought about when the movie was released. <laughs> All right, well, that's one point for me. So the original concept for Marston Anonymous, or at least what became Marston Anonymous, was not a film, but a TV comedy for HBO, which Dylan conceived after becoming obsessed with which performer? Which performer and future Project A Plus uh, series star? Yes, I knew I knew you'd come across this too, or I suspected as much. Uh, the answer is one, Jerry Lewis, uh, mus- muscular uh, uh, dystrophy enthusiast Jerry Lewis. All right, next question. <laughs> okay, you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Madison Anonymous started his life as a proposed slapstick comedy series in the vein <laughs> of Jerry Lewis starring Dylan. Which network was the show pitched to? <laughs> <laughs> HBO. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> um, here's, a, here's an easy one for you, maybe. What is the name of Jessica Lange's character in the film? Oh, Oh god, I do not remember this at all. <laughs> Is it ever like said in the text? <laughs> uh not sure. <laughs> I can't remember. I, I really can't remember. Well apparently it's Nina Veronica. <laughs> I don't remember this coming up at all. <laughs> okay. 
Larry Charles has had a storied career, including writing for Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm and directing Borat. Can you tell me which animated sitcom based off one of the most popular newspaper, newspaper comic strips of all time he had a hand in? Dilbert. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> uh, my final question is uh, an even easier one. What pseudonym does Bob Dylan adopt for his writing credit on the film? Hmm. Renee Fontaine. Incorrect. That's uh, Larry Charles' pseudonym. Are you sure? Are you sure about that? According to Wikipedia, Bob Dylan is Sergei Petrov. That's that's funny because uh, uh, in that uh, interview that I listened to, I thought I thought it was the reverse. <laughs> well, let's check another source just to yeah. verify it. I'll check um, IMDb should be correct, right? I guess so. But you're probably right. IMDb does say he's Sergei Petrov. Yeah. Okay, okay. And he gets first billing. Maybe, yeah, maybe maybe I misunderstood the interview and he came up with Dylan's name for it. And that, that was my point of confusion. Let's, let's call the answer a question mark. But let's, let's talk a little bit more about how this film came to be. Sure, sure. So as, as we've already um, discussed during the course of that trivia segment, it was originally pitched as a TV show to HBO. And that, again, explains why uh, Larry Charles was involved, because he'd never directed a feature film before. So the idea that this was initially a TV show, it at least makes some sense that he reached out to Larry Charles for whatever a reason. comedy TV show. And a comedy TV show, yeah, to boot. Um, no, to bet. But I was listening to a different interview with Larry Charles that was just on a podcast, and um, he talks about how he ended up meeting Dylan to discuss mm-hmm. this project. Mm-hmm. He met him in this boxing gym in Santa Monica that Dylan owned. And Dylan's assistant like comes over and says, do you want something to drink? And Larry Charles says, yeah, I'll have a a nice coffee. And then um, the assistant goes to Bob, what about you? And he's like, I want something hot. I want a hot beverage. (laughs) And the guy goes away and brings back an iced coffee and then like a a hot drink, a cappuccino or something. Mm. And Bob Dylan picks up the iced coffee and drinks it. <laughs> and, and then says to Larry Charles after a while, hey, why aren't you touching your drink? <laughs> I love how much of a, a dick uh, Dylan is and will always be. <laughs> and Larry Charles is like, you're drinking my drink. And that, that kind of bonded them a little bit because they had a chuckle about it. But then Dylan brought out this this big apparently ornate box, opened it up and just dumped all these scraps of yeah, paper. Yeah, had a bunch of random scraps that he written stuff on. Yeah, and it's just written on, like, hotel stationery from around the world. Because <laughs> this, <laughs> this would have been, like, peak never-ending tour years, I guess, which persists to this day. But, yeah, so he dumps out all these scraps of paper. They just have, like, random lines on them. One of the scraps just has Uncle Sweetheart written on it. You know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> I couldn't imagine this film being written any other way, basically. (laughs) Um, And, you know, they start to, like, uh, put something together, inspired by Jerry Lewis. And then they go to the meeting with HBO. Mm. And uh, Larry Charles, at that point in in his life, um, his thing was to go everywhere in (laughs) pyjamas. And he looks a lot like um, Jeff Bridges, yeah, Actually, he does. 
Well, it looks like the Big Lebowski specifically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you can kind of picture that. So they're strolling through the HBO offices. He's dressed in pajamas with his big beard, and yeah. um, Bob Dylan is like dressed as a cowboy. <laughs> mm. Anyway, they meet up with the the HBO exec, and the HBO guy goes, "Oh, it's so it's so great to meet you, Bob. Look, I have the original tickets from Woodstock." And Bob goes. I didn't play Woodstock. <laughs> and then immediately walks over to the window and just stares out at the city for the rest of the meeting and never turns his back. <laughs> so Larry so Charles funny. has to do the pitch. And Larry Charles's manager whispers to Larry Charles, he's like a R-word child. <laughs> 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 That's so funny. <laughs> and then... Um, Wow. HBO accept the pitch for no other reason than the fact that Bob Dylan's there. It's <laughs> still it, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. There's clearly no way they would greenlight this project for anyone else. And that's the reason why um, Larry Charles brought him to the meeting, in fact. Because mm. um, he knew that they wouldn't have the balls to say no to his face. And they didn't. No, definitely not. So they leave the meeting. They're all kind of celebrating, or at least Larry Charles and his manager are. And then Bob says, I don't want to do it anymore. It's too slapsticky. <laughs> so. I feel like when I was younger, I would have found this to be, you know, like annoying, like celebrity behavior. But I, I love that Dylan's just like, whatever. Like, you know. Yeah, me too. Like, I feel like there's no other way you could be a celebrity and, and be likable at this point than just be like a dick about everything. <laughs> Actually, the way the way Larry Charles described him on, the, on in that interview uh, did endear me to him even further because he's like, Dylan had no, like, compunction about coming across as kind of rude or standoffish or disinterested or uninterested. So, like, people will ask him questions and he'll just, like, stare at them and then walk away. <laughs> <laughs> Or he'd be like, you know, he'd be like sort of cryptically confrontational. Like um, <laughs> Larry Charles says people would ask him, you know, hey, why did you go electric in the 60s? Mm-hmm. And he'd say, hey, why did you go electric? <laughs> <laughs> that, that sums up Dylan does it. Else, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I really think uh, Dylan unlocked for me when I realized that, like, yeah, a lot of the stuff that he does is just like trolling, you know? Like, <laughs> I feel like I, I, I appreciated him on another level when I saw, like, oh, you know, sometimes you just be cryptic to be a dick. Like, that's, yeah. that's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, are you ready to move on to uh, trivia segment number two? Let's do it. Okay. So, Clifford? Yeah, we'll go in reverse order. Okay. <clears throat> Everyone knows that Clifford was released in the year of my birth, 1994. This was not, however, the year it was originally intended to be released. Can you tell me, can you name that year? Uh, 1990. That is correct. Okay, so... No, actually, that's that's wrong. I, I wrote down the answer wrong. <laughs> it was, what did you write down? Your, no, I wrote down uh, 1990. The, the correct answer is 1991. Is it? Yep. All right, I, I'll, I'll, I'll retract that point. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. All right. You got a question for me, bro? I do. A spiritual remake of Clifford was released in 2017 under what title? Really? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. A spiritual remake in 2017? Yeah. 
Oh, I have no idea. So the original screenwriters of Clifford are credited as story. Really? Or based on story or whatever. I can't think of any movies released in 2017. <laughs> I have no idea. Well, it's not a famous movie. say <laughs> <laughs> what's the answer? Mason? I want to say Maurice. Really? With an exclamation mark. This isn't real. It is. Because if you look up the screenwriters of Clifford, it's on their credits. I I can't find this anywhere. It's on IMDb. For 2017? Mm Mm-hmm. Let's see. Let's see if this is real or not. You just need to go to one of the writers. Yeah, yeah, I'm going right now, dude. I don't think this is a real movie. It's a real movie. No, it's not. Find a video of it. (laughs) (laughs) The production company is listed as Bordello Productions. Like, this is not real. It's a real movie. Prove it. You lost the point. I'm proving it right now. It's on IMDb. It's a real movie. Find any footage from it. Whether or not it's accessible to us at this particular moment is immaterial. It's a fake entry at IMDb. <laughs> can't prove that it exists. It's, it's written and directed by there's the guy no who plays evidence. Maurice as well. There's no evidence that this is, exists. Well, there is evidence that it exists. Find, a, find something other than this IMDb article <laughs> Do you want me to rephrase my question as, according to IMDb? <laughs> I can't, I really can't find anything about this. Again, immaterial. We found one thing about it that supports its existence. <laughs> Is this some like weird YouTube thing? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I do not think this is real. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is he in This Is Us? That can't be right. Hang on. Let me have a look at this dude. He's in one episode of This Is Us as a trick-or-treater, uncredited. <laughs> that sounds like a fake He's credit. in an episode of The Sopranos. That sounds a like kid in the, the, hall, the, credits that, uh, the credits that Tarantino made up when he was pitching to screenplay. <laughs> I don't think he this is an, real. He was in an episode of Grand Hotel as a character called Mason. <laughs> I don't think this is uncredited. real. I mean, this is He's in an episode shit. of the TV show called Spoof Spoofers <laughs> as a character called Mason Storm. I don't. I do not think you can. I think I get my point back for this. I don't think this is real. <laughs> it's real. <laughs> Give me some proof. You have to prove it doesn't exist. We have evidence that <laughs> okay, it does exist. There's no evidence. The burden of proof is on you. <laughs> there's, there's nothing. The size. The fact you haven't found anything is not proof. <laughs> the size is IMDb. There's nothing else on here. There's nothing else on the internet about this. So we've made a discovery. You should be happy. <laughs> Discovered what? This thing doesn't exist? <laughs> it was a fact you could have learnt for the purposes of this <laughs> trivia segment. <laughs> There's no fact to learn. There's nothing here. It is literally one of the credits of one of the writers <laughs> of Clifford. Okay, whatever. This, this, is, this is fake. I can't even. I'm going on this guy's Wikipedia page or this this guy's YouTube channel. I can't even find a video that that has that name. So well, it it does go under a different title sometimes. Um, some people call it the Space Cowboy. Mm. 
Nice, nice joke there. Thank you. Okay, I, I think this is, I think this is fake. I think this is something that, that, that this, this will take us added to his IMDb page. <laughs> he made a film that's no, that no one has seen. That's plausible, isn't it? No. Uh, okay. Anyway, uh, let's move on. <laughs> his trademark is that he always wears <laughs> plaid jackets. This guy isn't real. None of this is Tim real. Tim. Are you, are you, that's like Tom Tom from Billy Tower Hotel. Speaking of our word children. Anyway, anyway, ask me the next question. Okay. <clears throat> Richard Gibb, who did the music for Clifford, is quite a prolific composer of film and television scores. His work includes the first season of The Simpsons, the entirety of Battlestar Galactica, the remake, and a little movie called Upland. Really? <laughs> can you tell me the other title Upland was released under? Yes, I can. <laughs> Let's hear it. Um, oh, I'm going to get this wrong. I remember components of the title. <laughs> this is why this is, the, this is the best trivia question I've ever heard. A gnome called Norm? Yeah, you got it. Good job. Oh, no, yes. it's actually, no, no, actually, that's wrong. That's wrong. The correct title is a gnome named Norm. Oh, come on. You got to give me you're that. You're so close. No way. Not if you're going <laughs> to. I asked a reasonable an question that you could have no, been able didn't. to answer. You could have answered this question too. I did answer the question. <laughs> I'm correct. Be nice to you and give you that. Well, I'm not nice. Then I'm taking my point back <laughs> that I gave Which up point? for the first question you asked. <laughs> Whatever. I don't, I don't care. Let's, let's go on. It's, it's meaningless anyway. It is. Right. Uh, what's your next question? Ah, uh, let's do another question. Um, Charles Grodin is dead. What specific type of cancer killed him? <laughs> oh, man, I have no idea. You say like lymph node cancer. No, it was uh, multiple myeloma, a.k.a. plasma cell myeloma. Well, oh, that's too bad. Are you ready for my last trivia question? I am. What star rating did Roger Ebert assign the film Clifford in his original review? Half a star. That is correct. After undergoing minor surgery, which Clifford actor began hearing music in their head and subsequently embarked on a career as a professional songwriter? Mary Steve Virgin. I think I said that on the last episode. we've talked about this. We've talked about this many times. But it is funny. Yeah. And she won an Academy Award. Yeah. All right. Uh, Okay. Now we got one more round of trivia to go. And it's so... Which other British actor was originally cast in the role eventually played by Ewan McGregor? Hmm. This I do not know. Hmm. Um. Well, it's on the Wikipedia page, so. I know. Um. I'm gonna say. I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh. The guy who plays a robot in the Marvel films. Paul Bettany? That's him. That is not correct. The uh, correct answer Who is... Who was it? Jordan Peterson, devotee, Charlie Hunnam. Ah. Oh. <laughs> wow. Yeah, very interesting. Right. Who wrote Zoe? Oh, God. Uh, 
<laughs> so, some guy is not Drake Torivas. I think I get credit for that. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> Richard Greenberg. Oh, that that fall that fall was under the you know that that's it's not specific, but it's correct. <laughs> My answer. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <clears throat> Matthew Gray Goober plays a small role in the film as Michael, the man who introduces Zoe to Benisol, which is the drug. And he is a frequent collaborator with Drake Dreamus. Can you tell me how many other Dreamus films he's appeared in? As an actor? As an actor. And how many uh, other four. ones? No, two. Uh. Two in addition to Zoe. So three total. Okay. We watched one of them. Which is new It's just a great film. <laughs> uh, Leah Sado Sourdough featured in which 2019 video game? Uh, Death Stranding. That's right. A game that I played all of. <laughs> when I wrote that question, I was like, I'm pretty sure you've played this game. And I probably did. picked her out. I did. Yeah, I macerated to her. To her <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> uh, Leah Sourdough is slated to appear in five different films this year including one that we're sworn to do on the show. Can you name any of them? I don't remember what, what film. I'm going to look up No for... Time to Die. Oh, yes. There you go. Nice, nice, uh, nice call. The film's composer, Dan Romer, hmm. was originally set to do the music for a forthcoming film, which would have reunited him with Leah Sadu. <laughs> <laughs> However, he was replaced by Hans Zimmer due to creative differences. <laughs> Can you name this film? <laughs> Uh, uh, I guess I'll just guess uh, Tie to Tie. <laughs> That's right. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like No Tie to Die is going to be such a disaster. I'm really looking forward to watching it. I agree. So, should we talk about uh, what films we are going to induct to the uh, Hall of Fame? Let's do it. Hall of Fame. How are we going to do this? Why don't you just start and say one, and I can say if I agree with you or not, and then uh, we can go from there. My first candidate is uh, Under the Cherry Moon. Uh, I will uh, second this motion. <laughs> it's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. All together now. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the. My first candidate is uh, Jexy. I second that. Okay, great. <laughs> it's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. 
It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. All together now. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. And my second pick is Quintet. Hmm. Yeah, what I deliberately excluded because I knew that you were going to dominate it. Hmm. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I have to say, come on. I don't think that. I. I don't think it's quintessential. I guess. I guess it kind of is. It is. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Quintet. It is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's in the hall of fame. It's in the hall of fame. It's in the in the in the in the in the hall of fame. It's in the hall of fame. It's in the hall of fame. It's in the in the in the hall of fame. Hall of fame. All together now. It's in the hall of fame. It's in the hall of fame. It's in the in the in the in the in the hall of fame. It's in the hall of fame. It's in the hall of fame. It's in the in the in the hall of fame. Hall of fame. My my next one is Jay and Simon Pop reboot. Seconded. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. All together now. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. All right, what's your next one? Um. I'm going to say society. Hmm. I don't think so. I think a big part of the reason I say society is because I made a little promo film and I was happy with yeah. the dodgy special effects I made. <laughs> but actually, uh, I, I was going to nominate Oregon. Um, I, I was thinking of nominating Oregon, actually. But I don't think either of those films have really like lingered in the in podcast war that much. Into the bin with you! My pick is Ghost of Mars. Yep, I agree. <laughs> okay. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. All together now. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame.
Uh, my next one is Human Highway. Ah, uh, yes, that one, that was on my list too. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's that, auto, that's, that's a lock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a lock. That's that's like the that's like the pinnacle of the Project A plus. Out for sure. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. All together now. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. My next one is, uh, this is 40. Yeah, I feel like that has to be on there. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's one of the, that's one of the Project A plus valves. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. All together now. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. My next pick is Unicorn Star. That was also on my list, so yes. <laughs> a film that I hate, but I can't deny there is something quintessentially Project A Plus about it. So yeah, it was a classic episode. <laughs> yeah, of Project A Plus in which we discussed it. One of our rare arguments. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. All together now. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. My next pick is the Princess Switch. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. We have to have some element of Christmas on here. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. All together now. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. All right, my next pick, the 1517 to Paris. 
Hmm. I don't. I don't think that one is. Is I think uh, I want the fifteen seventy to Paris, but what? Uh, it doesn't really seem to be quintessentially Prodigy Plus. I have to be honest. Make your make your argument for it. Um, it was funny. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> 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 and it would be funny if that was like one of the crowdy quarries of cinema in our, in our eyes. Um, but it doesn't have to. I don't. I don't really care either way, really. Um, you have to. You have to care. That's what makes this fun. <laughs> so the thing is, has has its influence like loomed over Project A plus ever since we discussed it? Maybe not. I don't. I don't. I don't think it has. I don't think it has. I think. I think on those grounds we can uh, disqualify it. Because I feel like. Now I think about it, because I had to look at the episodes we did to come up with yeah, this list. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> I don't think about it that often. No, me neither. In the same way that I might with Unicorn Store, Human Highway, yeah. <laughs> Jay and Bob. So I, I, I concede that. Okay. Take that off the list. Yeah, take, cross, cross it out. Into the bin with you. My next pick is uh, the Million Dollar Hotel. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, I don't want to include that. I, I hate that film so much. <laughs> but I hate Unicorn Store. That's on here. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Top Top. Vermel gives in this weird suit. He's <laughs> <laughs> obsidian, right? Do you, know, do you know the one thing that will, <laughs> that will tip the balance in your favor? Mm. Is that um, <laughs> after having watched that film, Many months after, in fact, if not years. <laughs> we, got, we got to watch it again. I watched um, Solaris, the um, the Steven Soderbergh version. Oh, yeah, yeah, with Jeremy Davies. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this fucking guy is so annoying. Why is he familiar? <laughs> Motherfucking Tom Tom. So on that basis, I, I will accept um, the Million Dollar Hotel. How could you deny Tom Tom? <laughs> Okay, <laughs> great. Yes. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. All together now. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the in the in the in the in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the in the in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. My turn. Um, what's left? Um, oh, no. Operation Christmas Drop. <laughs> no, no way. What do you mean, no way? We already have a representative uh, Netflix uh, romantic comedy, and that's uh, The Princess Switch. But this uh, is like. Operation Christmas Drop has not moved over our podcast the way that The Princess Switch has. <laughs> it's loomed over my life. <laughs> that's the matter. <laughs> All right, fine. Into the bin with you. Uh, again, the next one that I have is a Turkish you in one that will, you know, <laughs> uh, obviously be included, which is uh, set it up. Yeah, I was <laughs> yeah. I was going to nominate that, but I didn't. But I realized that something that you know 
led to a, a, a historic coining. <laughs> Early, yeah, yeah. Has to be included. Yeah, of course, of course. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. All together now. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. Okay, what's your next one? I feel like the Titan should be in there because we very often ask ourselves for the Titan. And it does have some amazing bits in it. Uh, the Titan was actually my next one, though. <laughs> Instead of writing down the actual title, I, I uh, unconsciously wrote down Remember the Titan. So. <laughs> the, the Titan, definitely, definitely. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. All together now. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. My my one after the Titans, I'm weeping, weepfrogging over that is a Diary of a Shinjuku Thief. So the thing that I love about both of these lists is that, like, the only project that we've included anything from is the, the worst of the directors. <laughs> um, I can, I, can, I, I, I can see why this would be a dot inclusion, too. But it was, yeah, it was I don't, one know, I don't know about that. We can, we can exit. That's fine. That's fine. Like, we have fine. referenced it sub- yeah. on subsequent episodes, but... But it, oh, no, it doesn't quite feel right. No, it does not. It's, it's not a, a shitty American movie, for one thing. Into the bin with you. Hubie Halloween. A Hubie Halloween is also on my list. I'm detecting a certain quality that links several of these films in terms of their lead performance. But I can't quite put my finger on what. <laughs> It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. All together now. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. Solo a Star War. I don't think it really fits though, so we don't, we don't have to put that one on there. 
Yeah, I don't know about that. Into the bin with you! Deadpool 2. Yeah, I, I guess so. We don't really reference it that much, though, you know? I, obviously, it moves large as, like, the, the, you know, our nemesis, but... You know, I guess I guess our uh, uh, phantom, our ironic appreciation for Ryan Reynolds is, is due to that, so... I guess we have to agree on the, those grounds. It does feel like a benchmark film that we compare everything against. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> All right. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. All together now. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. My other one, I, you know what? I, I wrote this down. I don't think we should quit it. Well, maybe not. Well, I'll see it. Let's. I'll put it up in the air, and we'll see how you uh, you feel about it. I wrote down uh, chasing Amy. Nah, I don't think we so. We already have. Uh, yeah, we already have uh, Jay and Silent Bob for you. That's a more Project Day Plus <laughs> film of Kevin Smith's. Into the bin with you. Uh, blame it on Rio. Hmm. Uh, I don't. I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. But I don't have anything left. Into the bin with you. My last one, I feel like maybe, maybe a, yeah, a lock, maybe not, but uh, special correspondence. On our like worst films that we've covered for this podcast, I know that was my top. Was Deadpool 2 your top? I think it was. Well, that feels only fair that we include both then. Yeah. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. All together now. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. All right. So, uh, tallying, tallying that up, we have 18 films, and we need to cut three. I'll send you the list. Uh, so we'll just cut uh, Zoe, Clifford, and Master Anonymous, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Here we go. Okay, what should we cut? Um, I nominate... I think uh, Unicorn Store should be cut. No way. <laughs> does that one loom large of the podcast? I guess it kind of does. Yes. I feel like we've watched a lot of films that made like a horse girl, you know? Yes. Okay. Uh, what about Hubie Halloween? Yeah, we can take that out. We've made multiple references to Hubie. <laughs> Hubie Doobie. But I feel like I don't think about the film no. ever. So. No, me neither. Yeah, Hubie Halloween done. Into the bin with you. And we can take out special correspondence too. 
Yeah. Into the bin with you. So that just leaves one left to remove. Maybe the princess switch. No, I feel like you have to have that on there. What's your choice? I would say Jexy, actually. All right, let's get rid of Jexy. <laughs> well, you're folding that easily under pressure. Yeah, because I kind of agree with that as well. It's not like we reference it that much or talk about it ever. No. Into the bin with you. All right, uh, I think I think we've reached a, a, a beautiful 15 films. These are the the core essence of Project A Plus. Uh, do you want to read them out for us, bro? Okay, we have Marston Anonymous, Zoe, Clifford, Under the Cherry Moon, Quintet. Yes. <laughs> Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Human Highway, Ghosts of Mars, Unicorn Store, The Princess Switch, Million Dollar Hotel, yes. Set It Up, The, ti- <laughs> the Titan, remember the Titan? <laughs> this is 40, and of course, Deadpool <laughs> <chair just> up. <laughs> Part 2. Right. Wow. Well, here's to another uh, 100 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, should we do, uh, bonus features and then get the hell out of here? Yeah. It's bonus features, bonus, bonus features, bonus features, bonus, bonus features. Let's see. So I rewatched uh, Mr. Arcada and I watched one of the other versions of that. Okay. I've already talked about that at length. I watched uh, The Protector, which I've also already talked about, the Jackie Chan film. And I watched the two different cuts of that. I watched the American release version and also the uh, Jackie Chan approved Hong Kong version, which um, adds a couple of fight scenes and takes out all the swearing and has this one really hilarious change where in the, uh, <laughs> in the American version, there's this uh, African-American character who introduces himself and is like, oh, you know, I used to be a Navy SEAL. And then he has this like huge cannon and it's like, Oh man, my my friend from Israel gave me this, right? But uh, in the subtitled uh, Hong Kong version, okay, <laughs> this character goes, "Oh, I used to be a mercenary from Africa, <laughs> and I, <laughs> a friend of mine from Palestine gave me this." <laughs> that, that was really funny. Uh, so, um, but uh, I think I prefer the original, uh, you know, nudity filled and uh, swearing filled cut. Um, to the somewhat sanitized and less coherent uh, Ch- Jackie Chan version, even if some of the fights are better. Because, um, uh, you know what? In the uh, in the uh, Hong Kong release, there's no scene where Jackie Chan goes, give me the fucking keys. So, <laughs> can't can't beat that. What else did I watch? I rewatched RoboCop. I'm not sure if I've talked about it on the show. It doesn't matter. It's a great, great film. And then I watched, uh, you know, I have talked about Zatoichi quite a bit on this podcast. So I decided to watch the American remake of Zatoichi, which is Blind Fury with Rutger Hauer, uh, which is a totally enjoyable, like, campy 80s action film that I would uh, highly recommend to anyone who is in the mood for that particular flavor. It's got the perfect mix of a somewhat committed performance by Hauer, who really, like, you know, sort of sells it. Uh, he sells all the comedy, he sells the action, I mean, he doesn't really sell the pathos, but no one could do that. Um, but I think this film uh, strikes the exact right sort of like weird action comedy tone. And I sincerely enjoyed it a lot. Uh, so that's Blind Fury. 
And I also watched nothing else. So that's it. A2. Huey. Um, Huey Dooby Doo. I watched uh, Goodbye Dragon Inn. Huey Dooby So uh, we've discussed the film Dragon Inn on this podcast before, the King Who mm. classic. Well, this is a film about people watching Dragon Inn. Directed by Sai Ming Lang. So it's a film about it's a film about us. That's right. This is us. So the set of the film was a real life movie theater that was gonna close down that Sai Ming Lang came across and he made an agreement with the owner to like rent it out for a year or something. Mm. And um Yeah, it's about people watching Dragon Inn. Mm. The other film I watched was a little film called Girlfriends. <laughs> I like that you've stolen that from me. <laughs> I stole that from you? Oh, the yeah. little film. Yeah, yeah. Not watching Girlfriends. I can only imagine this is this leakage into your language is caused by Binge to uh, Project A+. Plus. Well, we should go back and listen and see who actually originated that phrase. <laughs> we should. Um, so this is a little film called Girlfriends from 1978. A little film. Directed by uh, Claudia Whale and uh, written by Vicky Pollan from a story by both. <laughs> and as the title suggests, it, you know, explores female friendship and um, some other stuff. You know, I feel so out of it right now. Me too. While I was um, feverish last night, I was thinking, ah, oh, I'm never drinking and eating pizza again. Mm. And then I had pizza for breakfast. Are you drinking now? No, I'm not. I probably will by, by the end of the day because I'm feeling better, so. Because, <laughs> mm. like, this weekend I hadn't planned to go all out and eat pizza and shit. I was like, oh, I'm going to be good now. But then I was like, oh, I've just got this vaccine. I might die on Monday. Mm. Why not have some pizza and drink myself to death instead? Pizza. 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 Pizza story. Pizza story. Let's just play the theme song here and then that can be the end of the show. Alright. Pass a piece of pizza, baby. I want some pizza. Lay me out a slice. Fetch a felon feature for me It's a police story Dig them fights <laughs> <laughs>